Hello and welcome to the Risk Experience Podcast. Ongoing developments with the coronavirus pandemic have brought to the fore the need for efficient risk management frameworks. There is need for ERM frameworks that remain robust in crisis periods and continue to create and protect value in organizations. In this episode of the Risk Experience Podcast, we discuss the role of ISO 31000 in designing efficient risk management frameworks across all industries. I am honored to have with me Alan Glack, who will be providing more insight on this subject. Alan is a member of the U.S. Technical Advisory Group to ISO Technical Committee 262 that is responsible for developing ISO 31000 and also ISO Technical Committee 176 responsible for developing ISO 9001. He is also an adjunct professor at Manhattanville School of Business and president of ERM 31000 Training and Consultancy. Welcome to the Risk Experience Podcast, Alan. Thank you very much, Frank. I'm honored to be here. All right. It's good to have you here today. So what is ISO 31000? ISO 31000 is an international generic standard for managing risk. Uh, the number right. 31000 is arbitrary. It has no meaning. Each standard has a number. I see. And this standard was created uh, over a period of five years by hundreds of volunteers first published in 2009, and then again published in 2018. Right. It's a, it's a systematic and logical process for managing uncertainty. Uncertainty is the layman's term for risk. It provides you with a blueprint so that you can implement risk management with you, in your organization. In today's times, a lot of company stakeholders are asking management to provide risk management. And very often people have no idea what that is. And even if they have a vague understanding of what it is, how do they go about practicing risk management in their organization? ISO 31000 provides a simple blueprint for implementing it in the organization. It also has a great advantage because in the course of implementing it, your employees will begin to focus on the company's vision, the company's mission, and the company's objectives. And this is really something that every manager would like to have. Right. That is excellent. Indeed, it's an honor to have you talk on this subject, given that you have a direct contribution to the development of ISO 31000. Can you tell us a bit about your contribution to the development of the ISO 31000 standard? Well, uh, I'm glad that you're honored. And I'm humbled by your honor, but the, the fact of the matter is that being a member of the uh, committee is just one person out of hundreds of people. Right. And it's true that I have had some influence. If you go to page six in the American version, the ANSI version of ISO 31000, you'll find my name there. So uh, certainly I was, I was involved. But... Realistically, because the ISO 31000 standard, like all the other standards, are consensus standards, they're not majority standards. So then every technical advisory group within every of the 55 countries that have technical advisory groups for this particular standard, in the 9001, there are over 100, but here there are 55 countries. In each country, there's between 10 and 80 people involved 
So you're dealing with hundreds of volunteers. I see. So the contribution is that we volunteer, we go to meetings, we discuss, we do a lot of wordsmithing, trying to figure out the best word uh, to express the idea. And I, there are a few lines in the standard that I have credit for. And that's about uh, the most I can say for my involvement. Right. That is very impressive. So generally, what is the composition of the membership body that contributes to and votes on the ISO 31000 standard? The membership body is a very diverse group. Obviously, in this standard, it will be people who are involved in risk within their organizations. And the organizations go uh, all across the board because the ISO 31000 standard, as I mentioned at the outset, is generic. And therefore, it is useful in the aviation industry just as it is useful in the financial industry or in manufacturing. And because it is so, so generic, we have all sorts of people in the group, and these are all seasoned professionals, and uh, they bring a lot to the table. What they bring most, and perhaps this is what's most valuable, is diversity. Right. Because the standard needs to become international. And therefore, everybody in my tag group has to agree well, let's say this. Consensus means you either agree or at least you're not objecting. Everybody says, okay, let's go forward. Exactly. But then every other country has to do the same thing. And then those 55 countries have to come to agreement. So it's diversity that allows us to work together. Diversity is what starts the challenge, but it's ultimately what solves the problem. Precisely. So what prompted the development of ISO 31000 and what problem was it designed to solve? That, that's an excellent question. Risk management is really simply the management of uncertainty that might cause me to not be able to achieve my objective. Right. Now, that's not only business that struggles with that problem. Uh, if you and I prepared to create a podcast together, for example... And then the last minute before the podcast began, there's a man across the street using a chainsaw to chop wood. <laughs> That's uh, an uncertainty that can stymie my objective. And therefore, although we all have to make decisions in the face of uncertainty in our lives, some of the decisions, though, that we're making may not be all that critical. But if you're in a company and you're making decisions that it can affect hundreds of lives, hundreds of employees, and millions of dollars, you would like people to be able to make decisions in the best possible fashion, not to become biased by groupthink. All sorts of things can, can hinder a good decision. Right. That is well said. So what would you say is the target audience for ISO 31000? The target audience for this standard is really any decision maker whose objective might be affected by certain uncertainties. I see. But, but I'll, I'll tell you, uh, risk management, the ISO 31000 standard, really started many, many years ago in Australia, believe it or not, in a standard that was called uh, NZS 4360. It was written by a friend of mine named Kevin Knight. He's a gentleman who's a bit older. Today he's a pensioner. And about 
30% of ISO 31000 originated in that standard. And it was because the government of Australia realized that we needed to solve the kind of problems that come up from time to time. And by managing uncertainties better, we'd have a better chance of doing it. So in that occasion, it was a country that was the target audience. But from there, it moved to become an ISO standard. Kevin became the head of the ISO committee until the, after the 2009 revision was published. I see. Another example would be the uh, South Africa and Johannesburg. That community decided they'd like to adopt ISO 31000, even though it wasn't mandatory, because they would like the decisions made on behalf of their municipality to be better decisions. But in reality, in our own homes, when we need to decide whether to go out for dinner or not, we also need to make take the same three steps that make up risk management. And I hope to talk about it a little later in our discussion together. Right. That is excellent. So is it correct to say that ISO 31000 wasn't developed solely for risk managers? Oh, that's absolutely correct. That you get to a great philosophical divide between ISO 31000, for example, and some of the other standards such as COSO, which I suspect we'll end up talking about later. Right. And the philosophical idea behind ISO 31000 is that everybody who's making decisions in an organization is managing risk. But the title of risk manager, that's the one who's the champion, who's in charge of education, who's in charge of reporting, of pulling things together. But it's really everybody that's managing risk. Exactly. The other standards are much more focused on governance on a top-down push of protecting the organization from people within the organization who do the wrong thing, who make bad decisions. And that kind of, um, that kind of model uh, appoints risk managers, much like internal auditors, to oversee and make sure that the people don't make wrong decisions. That is excellent. In fact, that kind of a model where you have a risk manager overseeing a group of people who are trying to be productive in their work can sometimes be counterproductive. And that is the, the model, for example, known as the three lines of defense, where you have people on top, people in middle, and people on bottom. And we've got protection against any of them who are messing up or are causing problems. The ISO 31000 standard is a philosophical standard that proposes that if everybody is trained well, everybody will make decisions, better decisions or the best decisions that they can possibly make. And the role of somebody who's overseeing would be diminished. Right. That is very good. By the way, this is also part of the difference between the original 2009 ISO 31000 standard and the new one that was published in 2018. The original one was much more philosophical and expressed the ideas that I just talked about, whereas the newer standard, the 2018, looks much more to governance and oversight for protecting the company from bad decisions. I see. That is an excellent background discussion on ISO 31000. In terms of the specifics, what are the main components of ISO 31000? When I teach ISO 31000, I like to make it easy for the student. And I like to say that there are eight principles, eight definitions, 
And there is a three-step process which has within it eight components. And indeed, these are all of the main components of ISO 31000. Right. It's critical that an organization be principled in order to make the best decisions. And in fact, the entire standard is built on those very principles. Definitions are there to give a common language to the people within the organization. It's not a required language, but it's a very beneficial thing for everybody to be understanding the same words in the same way. And the process of risk management, I like to call it a three-step process. Precisely. It also is made up of eight components. And the diagrams within the ISO 31000 standard point out these numbers of components. Right. While I have you, Frank, let me just mention that because of the COVID-19 virus, the ISO organization has decided to make the standard available for free. And although you cannot download it for free, but you can read the entire license standard online for free. And uh, people who Google that can, can find it online, or they can write to me at agluck, A-G-L-U-C-K, at erm31000, erm31000.com. Great. That is good. Thank you for sharing this information. I believe this will benefit many. So in the U.S., the ERM framework designed by COSO appears to be largely in use. COSO is the committee of sponsoring organizations of the Treadway Commission. How different is ISO 31000 from the COSO ERM framework, and why should an organization adapt one over the other? Very good. That's an excellent question. Before I answer that, I will share with you that I personally, as an ISO 31000 specialist, am very disappointed that since 2013 until today, we have not seen much more adoption uh, among organizations than we had in those days. I see. It is true that I have trained many companies in ISO 31000, but it's nowhere near as widespread as it is in Europe and in other countries. But the answer to your question is, COSO was designed specifically by and for the financial industry, and it was mainly in response to SOX, the Sarbanes-Oxley regulation that was supposed to prevent financial meltdowns. We, we see now that it hasn't quite done so, but that was the, that was the idea. And if the regulations that were written by the United States Senate specifically mention the COSO standard. So therefore, it has a step up. Exactly. The difference between using one standard over another, in my view, is really dependent on what industry you're in. If you are in an industry that has a specific standard that is specific for your industry, you are far better off using that standard than using the ISO 31000. Because the principles that are behind risk management in all of these standards are very much identical. The language is different sometimes. The philosophy that is underpinning the standards are often very different, but you'll be much better served. So in the aerospace industry, there is a standard. In the automotive industry, there is a standard. It would be foolish for them to use ISO 31000. And likewise, in the financial industry, they would be best served using COSO. 
Where I find this to be different, and not necessarily so, is, for example, in the case of a small uh, family-oriented investment group. So if they wanted to design COSO within their group, it would cost them upwards of $100,000 to a million dollars to bring in the people that would help them put this in place and to manage the various processes because they're designed for a large financial company. Such a group would be much better off using ISO 31000, which can be implemented much more easily and at much less expense. But the, the bigger organizations who can afford to do so and whose regulatory bodies are expecting to see a certain kind of formulation, they will be much better served using that kind of formulation. That is excellent. The, the COSO standard was really written to be able to put the president and the CEO in jail if they violated the rule. I see. I, I don't mean to be facetious, but that was really the intent because the standard requires that the CEO sign a statement at the end of each year that says the risk of the organization is known to me and the risk of the entire enterprise is known to me. And it is 7.62, for example, depending on whatever tools they used. And I and we all accept this to be an adequate risk for the business that we're doing. It's within our risk appetite and our risk tolerance. That's the intention of that kind of a standard. And if that's what your oversight people are looking for, you better, you better provide them with what they need. Even though by law, uh, a, a major financial firm could easily use ISO 31000 and satisfy the letter of the law. I see. So does this suggest that financial institutions are mandated to use COSO? Actually, it's not mandated. It is, it is given as an example in the legislation uh, of one kind of a thing that would be acceptable. So every company who wants to manage the risks as well, if COSO is specifically mentioned as will be acceptable, why should I risk using anything else? But by law, one can satisfy uh, their obligations using ISO 31000 just as well. Great. That is a very good clarification. So suppose FM decides to use ISO 31000. What should be its implementation strategy to design an efficient and effective risk management framework? There are very few organizations that do not already have some kind of framework for managing risk. Right. The best way to use ISO 31000 for these organizations is to assess whatever the existing framework the organization has for managing risk and to assess the processes, come up with a gap analysis, find out whether or not the gap, if filled, would provide additional value, and then use the ISO 31000 standard as your guideline for implementing those things that are a gap. The other suggestion that I would have is if you have a new organization that has the philosophical idea that it would like to run a company that truly makes the best decisions, not because they're afraid of their oversight, not because they're regulated, but they're a new, uh, happy and excited young group of people who want to do something right and they want to make uh, the best decisions and they're committed to excellence and to achieving their objectives, 
they might start using 31,000 out of the box to establish a framework for risk management. Right. So are there any priority areas in ISO 31,000 that need to be in every risk management framework? It's, it's very interesting that the standard, which previously had a laundry list of many things that it considered very, very important, mm-hmm. now has broken it down into much fewer components. The first would be leadership and commitments. The second would be insisting on the integration of all of the processes throughout the company, then a stage of design to try to create this framework for your company, to design how you will implement it, follow it up by implementation, and then in order to provide continuous improvement to do evaluation and improvement. So these are, the, these are absolutely the critical components within a company. I'll give you an example. Right. What do we mean when we need to design something and then implement it? One of the key components in working together with other people is communication and consultation. Communication means that you are the decision maker. But although you're making the decision, you still communicate this question and what you'd like to do to the other stakeholders within the organization. Now, some bosses have a problem doing that because they feel that they're sharing with their underlings the ability and the power of making the decision. But in reality, it's, it's not that. You're giving those stakeholders the ability to influence you because you recognize that there may be something that they can contribute to this decision. That kind of a process of communication and consultation between all decision makers and all stakeholders doesn't come naturally within an organization. You need to design it into the organization and you need to build it within the organization. So that's one small example of how you've got to build a framework. It doesn't exist there by itself. Right. Excellent. So you made mention of leadership and commitment and specifically in section 5.2 of ISO 31000, There is also emphasis on leadership and commitment. Now, this was especially a problem in pre-2007-2009 when several organizations did not even have active risk management functions that were independent or even had risk subcommittees on their boards. Although this has changed significantly post-2007-2009 financial crisis, there is still some work to be done in this area. How important would you say is leadership and commitment in building and sustaining an efficient risk management framework? It's extremely important. And in fact, I would reiterate what you say, that in the ISO standard that was published in 2009, there was very little emphasis on leadership and commitment. And the word governance probably didn't even appear in that standard. If it did, it was very much in passing. Right. And the reason for that was because of the philosophical bias where the writers of the standard, and I'm guilty of this as well, the writers of the standard were trying to create a utopia where everybody would be making the best decisions on their own and everybody would be trained and everybody would do well. You yourself have pointed out that the years 2008-2009 have demonstrated that this is not so. 
So the importance of leadership and commitment is because in order to make somebody the owner of a decision, to make them the risk owner, you they need to have accountability. They need to have the resources within their hands and within their department to do the job. And they need to have the authority to push their decision through into practice. Exactly. All of those three things, accountability, authority, and resources, that comes from the top down. And therefore, leadership and commitment is critical in effective decision-making, which is really what risk management is, because without any of those three components, the decision will not endure throughout the organization. Right. So following up on the discussion on leadership and commitment, what you find sometimes is a disconnect in information sharing between leadership and employees who actually conduct the day-to-day risk management functions. Do you think employees will better appreciate and embrace risk management if leadership shows more commitment and opens up to them about why a particular activity needs to be performed as well as the objectives of the organization? That's a very well-formulated question. And, and I absolutely agree. It's, it's very important to recognize that the very new definition of risk that was adopted by ISO 31000 in 2009 and then accepted by COSO a few years later and reiterated in the ISO 31000 2018 is that risk is the effect of uncertainty on objectives. All this means is that every organization has objectives and uncertainty can derail that and can have effects. It can have positive effects. It can have negative positive consequences. It can have negative consequences. But if people are not certain about the objective of their group and the objective of their bosses above them and the objective of the management above them, then their decisions are not going to reflect the objectives of the organization as a whole. So ISO 31000 is really a dream to senior management in that when implemented correctly and when trained throughout the organization, it brings an awareness of the objectives, as you pointed out, to those individuals and through communication and consultation that they will be able to come to better decision-making that will prevent negative consequences for the company and that will promote positive benefits for the company. Right. So one other issue concerning communication has to do with stakeholders. This could be internal or external stakeholders. How much involvement should stakeholders have, especially external ones, in designing an effective risk management function? Stakeholders should always be consulted in anything that they are a stakeholder for. According to the standard, a stakeholder is somebody who affects, is affected by, or, or perceives themselves as being affected by a certain decision. Exactly. You as a manager will make a much better decision if you talk to your stakeholders about anything that they affect or are affected by or think they're affected by. Again, you're not sharing decision-making with them. Sometimes there is a a risk that needs to be prevented. And the way you go about this is you have one of five choices. They all cost the same thing and they all seem to be the same to you. But if you talk to the stakeholders, you may find that, no, number three, forget that. Anything but that. We're out of here if you do number three. Right. So the more communication 
that you do with your stakeholders, whether they're internal or external. But again, only things that they are truly stakeholders for, which means that they they affect the objective. They see themselves as affected by the objective. That's how they perceive it. You communicate with them. Listen to their opinion. Make it clear that you are the decision maker, but you're giving them the opportunity to influence you. And then you'll go back and make a much better decision. Great. That is well said. So there's also this idea of considering the external environment when formulating an effective risk management framework. Looking at the current external environment with respect to the coronavirus pandemic, what would you say is the major challenge facing risk management across different industries? That's a a very good question. And I I would have to say that COVID-19 embodies uncertainty. Right. Never in my lifetime, at least, have we experienced a medical situation that had not become cleared up after some weeks or some months. And therefore, for example, at the beginning of COVID-19, when various kinds of lockdowns took place and companies afterwards began opening up, the biggest uncertainty was, would there be a phase two? Would there be a second lockdown? And there are many companies today that just made the decision to open up but are not necessarily thinking, and what do we do when we have the second lockdown, if we have a second lockdown? So the uncertainty that COVID-19 has brought into the lives of the corporation, the lives of the employees, and the lives of the families of those employees are almost an insurmountable problem for achieving the objectives of the employees' families, the objectives of the employees, and the objectives of the organizations that they work for. Right, that is very good. So even as the coronavirus pandemic continues to unravel, what would be your recommendation to organizations to stay robust in the face of uncertainty? Yes, every company has their own risk register where they have written down the various risks that they were concerned about in the normal course of their activities. Right. I would go back and open up those registers and start again from the beginning. In other words, looking at the, the questions of production, the questions of HR, the questions of finances from, with a, a completely fresh view. What happens if nothing is there? What happens if we, we can't decide anything? We can't figure anything out. Identify those risks and then analyze those risks, evaluate them, and then put some kind of treatment in place in order to ensure that you have a better shot at achieving your objective. That is impressive. So the ISO 31000 standard goes through a five-year revision cycle. Are there any sections in the current standard that require agent revision? Absolutely, but the other 40 or 50 people on my team also feel so, but they have different ideas as what should be done than I do. So you, you understand the tension that's involved in a document that's created by consensus. Right. And even after the U.S. came to consensus, and then the heads of the U.S. meet with the heads of the European Union and other countries, they have different ideas. I can just share with you two things that I would like to improve in the standard. Sure. One of them is that all ISO standards are required by its uh, internal documents to be based on the Deming cycle of continuous improvement, PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act. Exactly. 
And in fact, our standard is built on PDCA, but it is not, certainly it's not emphasized in the standard. It's not even mentioned in the standard. When I teach the standard, I always point out how this component of the standard speaks to planning. This component speaks to implementation, doing, checking is evaluation, and uh, acting is, again, improvement so that the next time around it's better. I would like to see a little bit more of that reference than the standard. Right. The other thing that I would improve with the standard is that the actual risk management processes in the standard, when they're looked at by the student, it's overwhelming. There are so many, so many things over there. I see. I would break it down into three simple steps. And the three simple steps that I would say are establishing the context of the decision that needs to be made, then assessing what is it that's uncertain about the, the objective that I'd like to achieve here, and then treat the uncertainty, the risk, so that it will be improved. So, and every single standard that's in, in risk management is always really just those very three steps. Right. That is impressive. So wrapping up our discussion, what would you say is the future of risk management? I'll, I'll tell you what the trend is in ISO 31000. It's, it's one that uh, is desirable throughout the organization. It's something that I was not happy with. And that was breaking ISO 31000, as you know, is a generic standard for any organization, any size, any sector. But now there is a standard that we have established for legal risk, ISO 31022. We are working on a standard for travel risk, ISO 31030. Uh, we're working on a standard for emerging risks, 31050. And this is where it, this is the future of risk management, where there will be a standard and a document for many, many of these particular sectors. I see. And I am not happy with it. I, I again, you know, although I, I am a consultant to organizations, uh, fundamentally, I'm a teacher and an educator. I'd like to explain to the people what it is that they need to do, and then they implement it within their organization. So I like the generic uh, far better. The other thing that's in the future for risk management, I believe, is certification for ISO 31000. That does not currently exist within the uh, confines of the standard, right? but the industry is uh, demanding it. And there are organizations already that are certifying companies against the ISO 31000 standard. I think that that's a battle that will be won. So you just talked about industry-specific standards that are being developed, one of them being travel risk and the other being legal risk. Why do we need these industry-specific standards if the ISO 31000 is generic and could be applied to any sector? Couldn't firms just adapt the ISO 31000 to their specific needs? Frank, I couldn't agree with you more. It's one of, it's, it's one of the things that I'm unhappy about. I don't feel that, that these standards are necessary. But as I said, this is a consensus group. Right. And the consensus, both in the United States and my tag, as well as over the pond, is that these are of a, a, a greater benefit. Perhaps there's a, a financial incentive for the ISO group to do so, 
But I don't believe that that's the case because although ISO sells standards, but nevertheless, the volunteers who are writing these documents have no vested interest in making money for the ISO organization. So I would not be so facetious to think that this is the reason. My associates just believe that legal risk is a big enough issue that it deserves its own book, as is travel risk. And I have to say, in light of COVID-19, they're probably going to have to rewrite the travel risk completely. <laughs> right. That is something that is definitely bound to happen. It's very difficult for somebody like myself to have been involved in the 2009 standard in its editing and then teaching it for many years and then needing to go to the new 2018 standard and uh, teach that differently. And that requires a lot of resilience. It requires being dynamic, being ready to change. There are a bunch of good stuff, I think, were in the 2009 standard that, that, that were removed, uh, you know, to, to usher in the new and the better. So the volunteers who do this, I understand the challenge. The volunteers who do this really deserve a lot of credit because they are not rewarded in any way, not with fame nor with fortune. But we all feel the satisfaction of having created something that will serve the greater good. Right. That is certainly important. We thank all the volunteers for their services in developing the ISO 31000 standard and indeed all risk management standards. We can attest to the quality of the ISO 31000 standard and we want to appreciate all the volunteers for the work they put into that and developing other risk management standards as well. Thank you very much for your service. Thank you, Frank. Thank you very much. All right, Alan. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an insightful discussion. There's so much valuable information you shared with us, and I believe this will benefit a lot of individuals and organizations. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, Frank. Thank you very much. Subscribe to the Risk Experience podcast, and thank you for listening.